Gospel according to St. Luke. Glory to you, Lord. While some people were speaking about how the temple was adorned with costly stones and votive offerings, Jesus said, All that you see here, the days will come when it will not be left one stone upon another that will not be cast down. Then they asked him, Teacher, when will this happen? What sign will there be when all these things are about to happen? He answered, See that you do not be deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he. Time has come. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for such things must happen first. But it will not immediately be the end. Then he said to them, Nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be powerful earthquakes, famines and plagues from place to place, and awesome sights and mighty signs will come from the sky. The Gospel of the Lord. The danger of trying to retell history is of overgeneralizing things. But I think it's safe to say that um, a lot of us have probably in our heads, if we have a picture of the early church, like the church, say, before the 300s, when things were legal, and then eventually official, um, that it's of uh, sort of uh, persecution, and the church sort of constantly underground, hiding and flighting, and, 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 and the church at bay. And that's true, in part, but it's also true that there were other parts of the empire and beyond the reaches of the empire where the faith simply flourished, where it took, and it's also true that the church was never the monolith we'd like it to be. There were always error. There was always error. There were always heresies. There were always just kind of weirdos that would pop up and cause trouble. They would say things that were very apocalyptic, stuff like right out of this passage. Signs are coming. Oh, Caesar died. You see Caesar died? The end's coming. Right? And there might be a minor civil war until they found a new Caesar, but it wasn't the end. The church's remedy, I recognize this is a gross generalization. We've got a couple mild experts here that might press this, but for purposes of the homily, this will work. The church's response to all this is martyrdom. It's the witness of the martyrs that ultimately gives the strongest testimony of the veracity of the faith to the people that are around them. It's true that pagans in the empire looked around and said, see how these Christians love one another. But it's also true, and perhaps more often true, that they looked at one another and said, how much must they believe this to suffer all that? There's perhaps no better example of this from those early days than St. Cecilia. St. Cecilia's story gets so kind of mangled that the, the only thing we can say for sure is that she died for the faith. It is also the most important fact of her life 
In fact, you don't need to know anything else. If you know someone's a martyr, that's kind of the whole story. Whatever happened before that pales in comparison to what happens at the end. I take great comfort in that. Um, whenever people ask me uh, my favorite saints, um, when I was a Dominican, I, I always used to say the martyrs of Gorkum. Um, these were martyrs from the Reformation, and they were all bad priests. They were bad priests. They were like naughty boy priests. They were in priest jail. <laughs> but when the Protestants came and said, hey, if you renege on the faith and, uh, and agree to become Protestant, we'll give you a church and a job, and we've got a ready-made wife for you too if you want. And they said, no. Famously, right? Um, John of something or other, one of these martyrs, right? He says, fornicator I always was, heretic never. Cecilia was no fornicator, but her witness by death shows exactly what makes a Christian life. I remember as a kid, I have a very distinct memory as a kid. Um, it was on October the 19th. It was the Feast of the North American Martyrs. And Father Hafler, I think, trying to frighten uh, the children, opened up Butler's Lives of the Saints and read the description of the tortures of the North American Martyrs. And, and I remember thinking to myself then, because this is at a time in life when I was getting bullied a lot, like on the playground, and I thought, oh, it would be so much easier just to have to get this right once rather than a whole lifetime. So if I could just put this off until the end and get it right at the end, of course, it doesn't work like that, right? What gave Cecilia the strength to die for the faith at death was that she had lived it so faithfully during life. So the story, as is handed on to us, and as the colic rightly praised, should edify us, however exactly this worked out, right, was she'd promised herself in virginity, some guy wanted to take her to prom, marry her, and, and like that prom date that you don't really want to go with, you have to figure out what to do with her, right? And so, so they marry, but the wedding night comes and she tells him, I have a lover who's not of this world, and if you touch me, he's going to zap you, so don't, you don't want to do that. And it worked. And he said, he said, I don't, I don't want to get zapped by, the, by your lover. And she said, the only way you can see him is if you consent to be baptized. Now, whether it was because he wanted to see the angel or just see whether she was full of it, or because he could tell there was something more in her that was driving all of this, probably that, he consented to the baptism. And then he could see him. And then there's this marvelous sort of addendum, right, where, where their marriage, which is chaste, is crowned with flowers, and they're told that the, the, the flowers will only be visible and smellable by people who already love virtue. So her brother-in-law, this would be her new husband's brother, comes to offer his congratulations on the wedding. And even though he's a pagan, he can see these flowers. And that moves him, in turn, to baptism. And so the three of them, Cecilia, the wife, Valerian, the husband, and Tiburtius, the brother-in-law, are martyred together. I don't like my brother-in-law. <laughs> he doesn't come to the holidays anymore, so I don't have to worry about saying that. But, like, there's, there's damage there, right? But it would be something to be martyred with him. Think about that. 
Think about the relative you're least looking forward to seeing the day after tomorrow. The one that you secretly pray just doesn't talk during the meal. Or the uncle that you have to hide the liquor from so that everybody can get through the day. What would it be like if God drew virtue out of that one and you all at once? What would it be like to suffer with one with whom you struggle? What would it be like to finally die for what you believe in? And would you be willing to live for it first.